broadcasting live high atop the Sunset Strip, deep in the heart of Tinseltown, via the World Wide Web at www.edamrocksradio.com. It's the Edam Rocks Radio Show. Your host, Son Edom. Madagascar is an island country located off the east coast of Africa in the Indian Ocean. It's a country that has about 25 million people living on an island about the size of Texas. Madagascar is one of the poorest countries in Africa. The people in this territory face many problems, including poor health care, a poor educational system, economic problems, and malnutrition. Most of the country, or about 52%, maintain their indigenous religious beliefs. Others, about 41%, are Christian, and the rest, about 7%, are Islam. One ministry that is working to help the people of Madagascar is Friends of Madagascar Mission. It was founded in 2009 by David Lerseth, who has been given a heart and a mission by God for the people of Madagascar. David Lerseth joining us. He is the executive director Friends of Madagascar Mission and and David, one of the things that has been that you've been a part of for at least I think the last ten years is this Friends of Madagascar Mission. Can you tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing? Well, uh, we started this or, or I started this organization, which has a board of directors uh, to run it. But I started it uh, out of concern for the people of Madagascar. Madagascar is always one of the top ten poorest nations in the world, which is nothing to brag about, but it's always in the top ten. And this year, I just received word from <clears throat> the World Bank that it's ranked number one as the poorest nation in the world, average income of around $300 a year. Uh, and it has no economy. People are subsistent farmers. They raise their own food. Uh, and so it's a tragic situation. And having spent the last 12 years of my official work in um, ministry, I was raising money full-time for uh, 73 organizations, uh, mission areas around the world, and I chose to focus on Madagascar for many reasons. So of those 73, what made Madagascar stand out in your heart? Well, when I was a young kid in my <clears throat> six, seven, eight years old, God planted a seed in my heart for the people of Madagascar because we had missionaries from there that came and visited and stayed at our home. And I always had uh, Madagascar kind of in uh, in my heart, and so I always say God planted a seed, and it took time of my whole lifetime career, and then it, it started to grow, and now I'm, I'm fulfilling what I feel God called me to do. So when you first got involved with the ministry and the mission over there, compared to kind of what you guys are doing now 10, 12 years later, um, how has the ministry, the work that you guys have been doing, affecting the people that you're helping out? Well, on two fronts. Uh, first of all, we're a Christian mission, and so our first obligation is to proclaim God's Word. Now, when I say we, it's them. We don't send anybody there. They have all the people that are needed to do the ministry, but the proclamation of, of the Word of God. But, of course, uh, Jesus taught us through, you know, the parable of feeding of the 5,000 and 3,000 uh, that we are to go out and to provide the physical sustenance that people need as well. I always say the statement that if people's stomachs are roaring too loud, they won't hear the gospel. And so the two go hand in hand. And so in every program that we have, there's a part of it that helps to provide for food, particularly in the prison ministry program, but also in the very southwest of Madagascar in an area that is always one of the top five areas in the world where if there's going to be a famine, it will start. And 
there's a Lutheran hospital presence there called a Zeta Hospital, E-J-E-D-A, it's pronounced as Zeta, and um, three out of four years is a crop failure, and so how do people pay for hospital care if you don't have food, uh, have money? How, uh, how do you provide the food when you don't have uh, any money as well? And so uh, we, those are the two areas that we have worked in, and we find success in the areas that we work. And the people are so extremely thankful and grateful for what we do. Now, you mentioned uh, the prison and prison ministry. I know here in America, there's been an emphasis recently on prison reform. And so um, obviously, that's a place where people can kind of have a concentrated focus on trying to get people to, to do better in life. So with you guys and your prison reform, I think I looked up and saw there's something like 80 prisons in the country. So how does your prison ministry work, and how does it impact the prisoners that are in the uh, prison ministry? We've been doing this. It's our uh, longest existing program and also uh, the one we extend the most money for. And you're correct, there's 82 actually prisons in in the country, and we're now serving in 12 of them. They're requesting us uh, to come and provide more, but we have to have the money in order to do it, and we don't move into a prison unless we can guarantee that we can continue to do it year after year. And so the government, the Bureau of uh, Prison Ministry, or prison rather, the Bureau of Prisons, <coughs> begs us to come into them because they see the effect upon the men, the women, and the young people who are affected by what happens in the prison ministry. Uh, I was just there uh, a year ago. And in the prison, a man got up and talked. He's been in the prison for uh, 32 years, a, a term of 33, so he should be released this summer. And he said, before the prison ministry came, I was just given up hope. I just existed and tried to get by. And then the people came with the prison ministry and gave me a reason and purpose for my life. I saw that God had a reason for my life, even if I was in prison. And now I see my myself helping other prisoners to be able to see that there is hope. And so not only the prisoners, uh, but the government is uh, very supportive of that program and see it as a very important program. If I may say a couple more things, that we have uh, asked the government if we could start a vocational training program because the men, women, and children have nothing to do when they're in prison. So we started a vocational training program that hopefully when they get out, uh, they will be able to have a chance to have some way in making a living and we sell those products here in the United States as well as in Madagascar. The second thing is that I saw the beautiful singing of the prisoners that were Christian, and so I labeled them the Freedom Singers. And so now across all of the prisons where we're at, they have choirs and they have uh, not typical choir gowns, but their own indigenous kind of uh, gowns that they wear and they sing. And we have a DVD that we give to people who make contributions to that. Now, is this something that, uh, as far as the prisoners go, that they volunteer for? Do they have to work their way, like good behavior type of things, to get into the ministry? How, how do they get into it? Well, it's it's through the presence. The, 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 uh, uh, every prison that they're in, there is a congregation that provides the, the, the people that go there. So there's a pastor that goes. They have a program of lay people called the Shepherd Ministry. They go there, and other people go, and they... They, they help uh, within, in, in the prison uh, and, and help them to, um, you know, they have worship service, they have confirmation classes, they, have, they do baptism, 
they do counseling, they provide food that for people that have no food because the government doesn't provide a lot of food. So a lot of starvation that does happen even within the prison. And, and so people see what happens to this group of people who are prisoners that have become Christian. And, and they see that maybe that's something that I need to take a serious look at in my life as well. So it's just like outside of the prison, you know, we witness to other people and they see the effects of it and then they believe. David Larisette joining us, Executive Director of the Friends of Madagascar Mission. And David, you just mentioned a moment ago about a, a guy that has been in prison for 33 years and, and kind of like a sense of hopelessness until he got into the prison ministry. You also mentioned that the farming community sometimes or oftentimes will experience famine and crop fail and things like that. I guess one of the questions that is kind of brewing as we talk is, are they are they living in kind of like a hopeless situation? Um, are they? Is there ways for the people of Madagascar to be able to have hope, to know that there's a, a better future? Well, they find their hope in the Christian faith, and uh, then they do what they can with what they have or what we're able to give to them to help them to do their ministry. Uh, so I've never met anybody that has as much hope as these people because they have no physical things to lean back on and say, you know, this is my wealth. Uh, I have something that somebody else doesn't have. So their faith is the touchstone that makes them have the value. And, and so that's, that's where uh, the hope comes in. And so I see a lot of hope among the people when I go there. You know, that's one of the things that I've always thought was interesting is that people that have nothing except a reliance on God rely on him more than people that have other things. You mentioned people with riches, perhaps, and not that that's wrong, but oftentimes if we have stuff, we have comfort, we don't really rely on God as much as people that might have relied on him for everything. And I think you see a deeper faith. So with that being said, do the people of Madagascar, because I believe there's some, probably some other religions, maybe some local religions, maybe a little bit of Islam that they have, to, that you guys might be, uh, I don't want to say competing against, but you know, that are, that people believe in there. So when they hear the gospel, are they open to it? Are they receptive to it? Or is there a little bit of a challenge trying to get them to understand the Word of God? Well, right now, because of the work that we're doing with evangelists that we support that are out into the the small rural areas of Madagascar, particularly because most of the cities have uh, Christian churches. Uh, when, when, when they go there, there's just uh, an unbelievable acceptance of Christ. And so we, we seek to get more evangelists so that they can go out and proclaim. The cost of supporting an evangelist through us for one year is $700, and 600 of that is the salary for the evangelist. That's uh, about double the national average income. And the other $100 is that we provide continuing education where we bring them together so that the money goes for the cost of travel and food and so forth and having a conference. And we'll have one again this uh, fall when I return over there. And it's a marvelous time to meet with them. And they tell me, you know, we are so appreciative of what Friends of Madagascar Mission is doing because you're a dependable organization. Uh, You don't just promise, but you deliver and you give what you say you'll give and you don't promise over promise things and that's what how we operate there are so many needs there's so many projects that we could support but we only support those that we know we can support and promise to them and so a promise to them is so valuable and they're so thankful for it they just are pour out their hearts of thanksgiving for what friends of madagascar is doing and helping them 
I would imagine it's pretty important that you guys, when you make a promise, that you fulfill that commitment, because otherwise you, the uh, people of Madagascar would start to maybe lose faith in what you guys do. So I can see where, you know, you guys will take a project on and make sure that it gets done so that you can meet that commitment. Right, absolutely. And, and, and the, they, they, the way they put it to me is that there are organizations that come and go, but you guys have come and you've stayed and you've been faithful and you've fulfilled what you say you will do. And that just makes us awfully thankful to God that we have donors uh, who are willing to support. And uh, it's through the donors that we're able to grow the organization. And, and that's uh, our prayer for the future. One of the things you mentioned a little bit ago about the prison reform is vocation. In a farming community, uh, and then you mentioned about people selling things when they get out of uh, prison, what, what type of vocations would you guys be able to teach them so that they can have a, a, an income? Well, basic, <clears throat> basically, it's, it's making uh, uh, what they do is they make jewelry, um, they make leather products, uh, and, uh, and things like that. So, um, and baskets, weaving of baskets that can be sold, uh, and they carry baskets all the time when they, because they don't have stores like we do. They, they, these are, they, they have markets out on the street, and, you know, during the day, the, the streets are just crowded, and anybody that's been in a third world country knows how that operates. And, and, and they go with a basket, and they buy just enough food for the next meal. And, and so um, those are the kinds of things that they can have skills to do when they get out of prison. Because so, most of the people are in prison. A high majority of them are in for, for stealing because they, they don't have anything and they're hungry. And, and so it's not violent crimes, although there are some of those, that, but not, not a majority. The Malagasy people are a very, very genteel people. And, uh, and, and, but stealing is probably one of the prime uh, reasons why many most of them are in there and of course they're they're in the french uh, judicial kind of system where you're guilty until proven innocent so if you're arrested you're put in prison and then sometimes it takes a year even for them to get before a a judge to try to clear their name so uh, it's a very very repressive kind of system so it sounds like between that and just day-to-day living having an organization such as yourselves the friends of madagascar mission to help out really does provide a lot of assistance and a lot of help for some of these people that might not be able to have something otherwise. Right, right. And, and, and our hope is both with their faith that when they get out, that's what they lean on and congregations are ready to receive these people. They have a program for them to reenter into society after they get out of prison and while they're in prison to give them a sense of hope. Because I tell you, the, the, the prisons are not anything like an American prison. They're just, I often compare them to a, uh, a livestock yard. There's open sewage and, and and trash and and rats and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's just pathetic, and uh, uh, and and so it's it's just like they describe it as a living hell. But they said with with the faith that we have and what prison ministry does, it gives us at least a sign of hope. The other thing you mentioned earlier was uh, the health issues, like the hospital and people that might not have the means by which to pay, maybe the means by which, because they're in the hospital, to, to get food and things like that. So besides the prison ministry that obviously you guys have a big impact on, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the, the ministry that you, the part, the part of the ministry that's dealing with the, the medical issues and helping people that might be struggling with health issues? Okay, we, we ourselves don't deal. There's, there's an organization called uh, Global Health Ministries, which is located out of uh, 
uh, the Minneapolis area as well, and they provide medical uh, support and supplies and equipment, and they ship in containers of uh, things from this country. Uh, and, but we support them. But what we support in the Zeta Hospital Ministry is with the nutrition program that provides food for the people. But we don't get involved directly in the medical side of things. Uh, we don't want to compete with a good organization like Global Health Ministries. Uh, and, and so we're there to provide that nutrition for the people that don't have enough food because, strangely enough, in Madagascar, as in Africa, most places, uh, the hospitals don't provide food. Uh, the family has to bring the food, and they have to come. So there are, are little homes around the hospital grounds where people can stay while they have someone in the hospital, and then they cook the food for the people. But if it's a time of drought and, and they don't have the food, they don't come to the hospital. So the nutrition program seeks to encourage them to come so that they will get the medical care. Well, then if they don't have money, they don't want to come either. So we try to have what we call a emergency uh, medical uh, help. Uh, sometimes it's called a poor fund. as for people who don't have the, the money to come to the hospital. And, and so uh, we also help to provide those kinds of resources uh, for those people. So that's our involvement in the hospital side of things. We also are working now in beginning a new program in the southwest where this is Ada Hospital is located called the Drip Irrigation Program uh, so that they can, you know, I, every plant it gets just a drip of moisture. You don't water the whole field. And so a, a small garden area uh, with 800 meter uh, with 100 meters of uh, hose, drip hose, and a tank up above about five feet, filled maybe once or twice a day, uh, bringing water to each individual plant, and they can raise enough vegetables there to support a family uh, for uh, a whole year, maybe two to three crops if they manage it all correctly. So we're trying to teach them through two centers that we've established. Uh, one at the Zeta Hospital and one at a Manashua Bible School to teach people how to use the drip irrigation system. And we give them their first kit. It costs $25. It should last for about four years. Uh, and then we'll see what we do after that in terms of if, if they need a replenishment, how we handle that. But the goal is to try to teach them that you don't have to starve. You can do things differently. You know, And change is very difficult for all of us, even people who are starving have a difficult time seeing how to do it differently. So with this drip irrigation, would this also help them in times of, of drought and famine? Oh, yes, absolutely. That uh, means they may have to go seeking water. They, they, they know their terrain. They know where there's water available. You go to a river that's dry, but you dig out, down in the sand, you can get a pail full of water. So they may have to go further to get that water, but uh, the, you know that area receives 13 inches of rain a year. And it all comes in the month of November. So the rest of the year, it's dry. And I've been there during the dry periods, and there's still, you know, the roads are terrible. Uh, it's hard. <laughs> but still there are, are huge ruts, you know, that are filled with water because it's a very sandy soil. So it sounds like with drip irrigation, this could be something that could really change the, the lives of the people there. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, when it's you, uh, important. When, when you talk about the we talk about the food that you bring in, is this something that you guys have to bring in from out of country? No, no. We the food that that they receive uh, at the at uh, at the hospital is the the main staple of food of the country is rice. 
So we provide rice and then a protein. Depending upon how expensive, if meat is way out of sight, then they don't use you know, meat as the protein. They may use uh, dried uh, milk uh, as giving away or other kinds of proteins, beans and so forth. Uh, but those two are what they try to get to the people, in, and uh, they make the decision there at the hospital, same at the prisons. They make the decision of who gets the food, not us. It's, it's their program. We're supporting it because they are people who are on the poor end of the spectrum in terms of, of wealth. David Larisath joining us. He is the executive director of Friends of Madagascar Mission, and uh, the church that you work with there, is it the uh, Malagasy Lutheran Church? Did I say that right? Yep, that's right. Malagasy is the name of, of the people from Madagascar, and it's a church that uh, uh, goes way back to 1866 when the Norwegian missionaries arrived, and in 1888 the Americans out of Norwegian descent said, we want to get a piece of the action. So the church has been there for a long time. 42% of the people in Madagascar today are Christian. And you asked a little bit earlier, and I, we didn't ever got to answering that. Seven percent are, six to seven percent are of the uh, Muslim faith, and fifty-one to fifty-two percent are animists. Now, animists—you talked about what other religions. Animists are the people who, who, who believe that you know, uh, their ancestors, for example, dominate and control their future and their life. Uh, there's no—it's it's not a hopeful religion like Christianity. It doesn't provide any deliverance from their condition it only is a is binding them and they 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 believe in the witch doctors who control the communities and they say if it's a bad day this child is born on a bad day and this child will die that's what happens they have total control over the life of that community and so often and many times the witch doctor is converted to the christian faith and then the people in the village are able to also listen and and convert to christianity yeah, so having having kind of like the witch doctor idea that they believe in, having a local church as kind of like the the point, the the being out front, does that make it easier for you guys to do ministry work? Having somebody that's already there and already established versus having to come in and reestablish everything. Oh yes, absolutely. It it it, it would really be ridiculous to try to go in on one's own t- uh, time and and do it because uh it would be it's very expensive it's very expensive to provide for uh, a westerner in a, in a third world country uh, i know i used to work for a national church body and the average cost of sending a missionary to another country today can average somewhere in the neighborhood of $100,000 for a family uh we can do it for $600 a year uh, per person and so you know it 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 doesn't make any sense besides if I went over there and lived in a village, I don't know the culture, I don't know the language, I don't know the traditions, and it takes a lifetime, you know, that to learn our own traditions of our own culture. So these people who are there, they, they're they there for the rest of their life, and they're trained through Bible schools and so forth uh, to be the evangelists. And then, of course, there are pastors who go through seminaries to become leaders in the, in the local churches. Now, you mentioned that you travel over to Madagascar quite a bit, um, can be coming there or going there in the fall. And you mentioned culture. Is there anything that you've picked up uh, on your travels over there as far as the, the Madagascar culture that you've kind of just found interesting or fascinating that might be different from a Western culture? Well, uh, they still have very strong family units. I mean, that's that's the basis of, you know, uh, of their existence, like it was used to be in the old days in the more... Uh, rural America, where the, the center of the family 
that's one main thing. Um, uh, I find also that uh, they are not afraid. I think this would probably be the basic one. They're not afraid to confront evil and call evil evil. Um, they, they're, they're right in the face of evil, and I have a lot of stories that uh, some that I wouldn't even want to share because they're, you know, uh, really alarming. But um, they, they can, they confront evil right up straight up front. And we always bring people. When I go to Madagascar, and I always bring people with me. Uh, we always go to a place where they're going to confront evil like that, and uh, and it's very, very uh, eye-opening to people to see that they, they don't. I guess they don't beat around the bush. <laughs> Yeah, I would imagine that with their, I guess that is a little different than what, what we do. We kind of try to, even in our Western churches, we try to have a, uh, take the focus off of off evil and really don't realize or understand, you know, the spiritual warfare that we're facing or the attacks that we're facing. And we kind of candy coat or sugarcoat those and make it not so scary. But I guess that is a, a realistic thing that you're dealing with, especially when spreading the gospel. And you've got, like you mentioned, 51% believe in a local religion that's maybe, um, the belief based in the fact that your forefathers or witch doctors going to determine your life. I guess that is a real battle that they will have to face when they're thinking about religion and even converting to Christianity is the real sense of evil that they're facing. Right. The verse that comes to mind, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And they believe that you cannot do that unless you confront the evil that exists within them. And in, in America, we just have a hard time labeling something. We rationalize, we psychologize, if that's a word. <laughs> uh, uh, we, we try to explain it away. Uh, over there, they name it. And in and, and every part of the world, uh, there is, is evil because it's a part of, of, of the world and the human nature, rebellion against God. And, uh, and so it's really, uh, really powerful to see, and I think probably from your question, that would be the main a thing that really strikes me and other people when you go there. David Larisette joining us. He is the dire- executive director of Friends of Madagascar Mission. And, and I know one of the aspects that we've talked about with the mission is the, um, the spreading of the gospel to the people of, the, of Madagascar. It's one of the most important things that Friends of Madagascar Mission is doing. Uh, you mentioned the prison ministry. You've mentioned, you know, the, the the irrigation. You mentioned providing food for people that might be in the hospital. Um, I thought I read somewhere that you know Bible schools, Bible translations. Are you guys involved in anything like that? Yeah, uh, we we are currently supporting three out of the eight Bible schools in Madagascar of the Lutheran Malagasy Lutheran Church, and that's where the evangelists are trained. Uh, each of them train about twenty five evangelists. It's a two year program very very thorough uh what they cover and what they uh you know teach in those in those bible schools and those equip uh catechists who are teachers in churches and then evangelists who are out on the forefront uh con- you know talking to people about their the christian faith uh and then we have a person over there who happens to be an american he was born of american mission people and he's lived in madagascar most of his life in fact when uh, people hear him on his radio program, they think he is a Malagasy because he speaks the dialect exactly like it should be spoken. And and there's a dialect in the very southern part of the country called the Andrui dialect. They have not really converted to Christianity because they have refused to speak the official Malagasy language. The official language is a combination of all the dialects and then, you know, uh, 
they created a official language, and they don't want to speak it because it doesn't have the flavor of their native language. So this particular person took and trans- spent 18 years translating the Bible into the Andrui dialect. We just printed 20,000 of those Bibles in India, plus about 90,000, uh, 85,000 hymnals, because the Malagasy people love to sing. And uh, they're in the process of distributing them now, and already we need to uh, to have more Bibles printed because the people there are just hungry for it, and, and they call it the book, the book. And so they, they, they want, they line up in long lines to get a Bible so they can have a chance to read. But not only that, you have to teach the people to read because they don't have never learned how to how to read it. There was no dictionary, and, and the, Steve took and created a dictionary of the of the uh, Andrewy uh, languages dialect as well. So it, there's just marvelous things that are happening, and and I just sit back and say, you know, let God come in and go and work, and He works through us, and we follow, and uh, where the doors open, we go in, and and again, we don't send any people over there. We provide the resources to the people who are already there, and that's the new phase of of mission, and that's why we call ourselves, you know, as friends of Madagascar, that we are on the on the edge of of the new way of doing mission. It sounds like amazing things, especially when we talk about the Bible translation and kind of creating this new dictionary for the uh, the the people to read. Um, one of the things I was thinking about was in parts of the world, Christianity is is really frowned upon. In fact, you almost have to sometimes meet in hiding uh, for fear of your life. You know, when you think of countries like the Muslims countries that maybe Islam might uh, discourage you from being a Christian. And in some countries, if you become a Christian, you get ostracized from the family. Um, in Madagascar, is there anything like that, or can Christianity be uh, practiced and studied in open without any fear of retribution? Yeah, there, there, uh, there's not really uh, any uh, pr- prohibition against that. Uh, politically, certainly, there and government-wise, there's certainly no prohibition about that uh, kind of thing. Uh, I've been in countries where it's against the law to be a Christian, and I've seen how they operate and how they function and the kind of fear they live with, but. That's not really the case, but you know there are isolated incidences where there was just one recently, right before Christmas, where a, a young Christian man was um, kidnapped by a group of people who conned him into showing directions to a church, and when he got in the vehicle, uh, they pulled uh, knives and daggers at him, and and they uh, said they were going to kill him, and he uh, unless they allowed him to cut into his skull six six six. And uh, he started to proclaim the gospel, and they shouted at him and said, you do not dare to say the name of that God in this assembly. And he continued to do it, and they finally released him because they were really, really afraid. Uh, uh, This guy was fearless, and in the power of God, he proclaimed uh, the God's name, and uh, he survived through that whole thing. but that's that's a very isolated instance. I, I haven't ever heard of anything like that before. That's the first time I've heard that. So it's not like it's you know uh, against the law or people are in danger by doing that. But you know we're all in danger as a Christian because when we we live the, the Christian life and carry the cross in our life of Jesus, uh, there are going to be people who are going to be the power of evil is going to be opposed and will try to stuff it. To, to tamper it down, and and we we can't be afraid. 
the music and songs that they sang, you mentioned music. Is it uh, songs that are their own that they've created, um, that they're writing, or is it songs that are being introduced to them from you know, other parts of the world? Well, they, they have uh, been taught you know, music from the missionaries of the Western world, and I've heard choirs sing you know, the uh, Hallelujah Chorus and, and the Messiah, so to speak, and, and I've heard them sing songs out of their own national uh, treasury. Uh, you know that they've come up with. I have uh, a DVD which I uh, give to people who support the prison ministry uh, of these uh, freedom singers. That they they have songs that talk about the struggle of life and what they had to give up to become a Christian and what they gained to be a Christian. And they're all sung in Malagasy, but I've had them interpret it to know what it's about. And so there's a mixture, but they're not they're not African in the sense that they have the uh, the, the music with a lot of, of uh, beat and so forth, they're, because the people that settled Madagascar really are not African, but they're basically from the area, Indonesia, the Malays culture that came around India and down the coast of Africa. So they're, they're not, there are Africans in Madagascar, but the predominant uh, group of people are Asian from over the Malays out of the Indonesia area. One of the things, as uh, we talk with David Larisette, he's the executive director of Friends of Madagascar Mission. And one of the things that kind of stands out is we kept talking about, you know, financial, financial support, needing some things. But when someone donates to Friends of Madagascar Mission, uh, 100%, 100% of the donation goes to Madagascar. That's correct. And so how does that work? Well... I work for a national organization, church organization, and, and people gave money, and <clears throat> the, uh, the church organization decided where the money would go, and they also took money out to pay for the administrative expense, which can get to be very spendy. And so I saw the resistance of people who didn't necessarily want a lot of their money to go, and, and, and certainly without their approval. So when I formed this organization and established it, I determined that 100% was going to go to the projects. And if people want to support the um, the administrative costs, which are very minimal because I receive no salary, I receive no remuneration for expenses, I pay, my wife and I pay all of that because that's our, our gift of stewardship to uh, the fact that we are able to have, you know, a good retirement plan and, and so we can do that. And... Uh, we do receive gifts from people. A lot of our board members provide resources for administration, but uh, we don't spend a lot of money on administration. It's, it's our mailings, our newsletter, our websites, our uh, you know those kind of costs. So uh, it, it makes it tougher, obviously, but uh, God provides a way for us to do it, and we're continuing to be faithful to the following that. And so, someone gives us uh, a dollar, a thousand dollars, we. <laughs> We were fortunate, unbeknown to us, some woman in England who passed away, and we don't know how she heard about us or found out about us, left us $100,000, which we have put into an endowment fund to continue to provide support. Uh, 100% of that endowment goes for supporting the ministry as well. Nothing is taken out for administrative purposes. But we do encourage people to give gifts to us for, for that if they wish, but that's, that's how we operate. It's amazing how God works in the fact that 
he just provides. Like you mentioned, you know, a, a lady passes away, leaves you, uh, you know, some money, and you didn't even know how she hears about you. So he does yeah. truly do provide. But again, there are reasons or needs that you know uh, for for finances. So if people want to either give to the uh, the mission for the one hundred percent going to Madagascar, or if they feel more like you know what, I want to try to support the administrative side of things and help out with some of the costs of running the uh, the ministry. How can someone financially help out? Well, uh, they can they can send a, a check, or, or they can uh, they can go onto our website, and there's a place there on uh, to to donate. And uh, it cost uh, us uh, some money for have to happen, but we don't take even money out of. If someone gives a hundred dollars through our PayPal account on our website, uh, I, we've instructed our treasurer not to do, take that cost out of the gift. We pay that out of our administrative funds, so. Every dollar that even given through that way goes to the mission and, and done nothing for uh, the cost of maintaining that. So people can go onto our website, and you want me to share that? Yes, that, if you can, please. Yeah, that's www.madagascarmission.org. And uh, uh, Madagascar is just M-A-D, mad, and then an A, and then gas, and then car. So madagascarmission.org. And uh, there you can find a way in which you can contribute. Or you can send a gift through the mail at Post Office Box 46381. Post Office Box 46381, Eden Prairie, Minnesota, 55344. Obviously. So those are the, 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 two, the two ways. And please go on to our website and... and um, and take take a look at uh, the things we've been talking about because uh, we're uh, in the process of updating after the year's annual meeting and getting things you know current. But uh, things are there, and and take a look at what we're doing. And, and that is one of the things that uh, is is so good about the ministry is that you guys are actually really doing a lot. You guys are really making inroads into Madagascar, helping the people. And so, any little bit that someone wants to share is really going to be impacting the people directly. And I think that's really important for them to know. Yes. Right. Right. So many organizations take out money. I know organizations like us nonprofit have like a million dollar budget and they, and they, they spend, you know, half of it on administration. And I just can't justify that when you're going into a a world where uh, poverty exists and we have such abundance, uh, we should be able to send everything that people give for to designate, in other words, the word is designate. People have the right to designate where they want their money to go, and that's what we try to, to abide by. And I guess God has looked after us, and, and when we think we are getting short, we always find a way out. You can tell by hearing, uh, just listening to you and hearing what you're saying, that this is a passion. And obviously this passion doesn't come from just some sort of, you know, socially wanting to help people. It comes from a genuine uh, concern in your heart and your soul, which obviously must come from your your relationship with God and Christ. Can you kind of just share with us a little bit about your relationship with Christ and what that relationship means to you? Well, uh, f- from my earliest days, being brought up in a Christian home, I've never known anything but faith. You know, you have your times of trials and your times of, you know, uh, you know, is this the right thing for me? And when that became very clear to me and the calling in life to be a Christian, first of all, and secondly, then to be called into uh, ministry, serving congregations, and eventually working in 
the national church office and helping to raise money for mission. Uh, I've always felt uh, the call of God, and uh, I don't always see it as I am current or as I'm looking forward. But when I look back, I see God's hand in everything that has happened, that the decisions and the, the, the places I've been have all been at the hand of God. And so I simply have dedicated my life, and, and now the older I become, the more confident I am that, that God's will will be done through me if I surrender my wants and do what God wants. And I'm confident that it is God who is leading me. So that's quickly a, a, a summary of my faith journey all through life. And I think that, you know, sometimes people try to make it really kind of convoluted and complex, and it really just is just opening yourself up, allowing God to come in and just lead you. Right. And it is not always so clear as you look, you know, at at the current time and saying, what should I be doing? Uh, But, you know, uh, God gave you the ability to to make decisions, and, and through your decisions, God works. And so... Uh, that that's you know it's not complex as you say it's not some mysterious kind of thing it's pretty plain surrender that's the big word it's always surrender to God's uh, power not our own power and that's <laughs> interesting tying in with that prisoner that I mentioned in Madagascar uh, in fact if you go to our web page and go to our annual report for 19, uh, 2018 uh, his story and, and the speech that he gave is printed in that annual report uh, in our, on our website and he just simply talked about that whole thing that, you know, God does the miracles. You know, we just give ourselves to it, and it happens. And again, that website is? www.madagascarmission.org. Madagascarmission.org. Uh, David Larisset, the executive director of Friends of Madagascar, has been with us sharing about the ministry going on in Madagascar. And, and David, we appreciate your time, and thank you for sharing with us. Uh, anything else you'd like to share before we go here? Uh, well, f- thank you for the opportunity to share the story. It's, it's a story which I never get tired of telling. I go out and speak at congregations, conferences, conventions, and so forth. Uh, and, um, and, you know, I'm not competitive with other missions because if they're doing it all in the name and glory for God, they're good. And there are a lot of places in the world where one can serve, and Madagascar is not the only place. Like I said, I used to raise money for 72 different missions around the world when I worked for a national organization. But I ask you to take a serious look at who we are and what we do, and if God moves you, you know, we're willing to uh, let you do what you want to do through our organization. And again, MadagascarMission.org is the website. If you'd like to check it out, uh, feel free to do so. And do you guys have any other social media or any other emails or anything like that, if anyone had questions or comments, or is pretty much all the information there on the website? Yeah, well, and if our, our, our um, uh, email address is on the website, and, and you can email us. You can, there's our phone number on there. You can call us. Uh, whatever you, you wish to do, we're, we're here to, to help answer those questions and and help you to do what you want to accomplish. And I think that's uh, important, like you're saying. It's, it's, it's not what you want to do. It's what God and the people that are donating want to do. Right, exactly. Yep. Well, David, thanks so much. We appreciate it. I hope you guys are uh, getting warmed up there in Minnesota. I know it's been kind of a, a rough winter for you guys. David, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it, too. God bless. David Larisette, the executive director of Friends of Madagascar Mission, joining us here today. 
Special thanks again to David Larset, the executive director of Friends of Madagascar Mission. Their website again is madagascarmission.org. Also note that it was mentioned during the interview that prisoners who come out of the prison ministry in Madagascar learn a skill or trade that may include the making of items to sell in the marketplace. These items, such as jewelry and pottery, can be purchased through the ministry. So check out the Friends of Madagascar Mission website at www.madagascarmission.org. That's going to do it for the show. Hey, thanks for listening, and do tell a friend. Until next time. God bless.